Before we start the podcast, please make sure you check the description for any content warnings that may be relevant to you. You're listening to an ILX podcast. Welcome to ILX Podcasts. In this series, we're discussing diversity and inclusion in the workplace, why it's so important, how far we've come, and where we're headed next. We reached out to as many people as possible in our personal and professional networks with the aim of having honest conversations where those involved could share their experiences, thoughts, and opinions on various areas of diversity. And these are the conversations we had. Hi, so I'm Russell Kenrick. I'm Adam Deuce. Hello, my name is Amelie. My name is Shalina Samani. My name's Tim Packer. My name is Celia Sandia Daniels. Hi, I'm Emily Hamilton. My name's Chris Coombs. Hi, I'm Holly. I'm Erina. I'm Miao. I'm Hazel. I'm Giuliano. I'm Indigo Rosen Hunt. I'm Priya. My name's Katie. I'm Scott Hunter. My name is Phoebe. I'm Alice. And on behalf of ILEX, I really hope you enjoy these podcasts. If you do, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'd also encourage you to check the description box for any additional information related to the topics discussed in this series and to find out more about ILX's diversity and inclusion group. Following on from last week's episode, today we're continuing our discussion around mental health. As we've said, it's different for everyone. So how can we spot when we or those around us are struggling? And from that, how can we then create better support systems, both at work and at home? My name's Tim Packham and I'm the business analyst for ILX. So what have your personal experiences been then with mental health and mental health struggles? Uh, So for me, it's uh, anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. with regards to my mental health. Um, It's not something I ever planned to to find out I had Um, I didn't actually think it was something I was capable of getting I was quite a strong-minded relaxed uh, easygoing individual and then over the course of time I noticed as my career was growing these events were happening and um, these events were triggering responses that predisposed me to think about situations in a certain way going forward and that whilst it when it accumulates over a period of time could become quite negative and it resulted in some uh, pretty sad situations um, for, for myself. It got to a point where I had two uh, extremely negative uh, things happen, both in a professional environment and in a personal environment on the same day. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And that, that was pretty hard. So that's when you, when you're already feeling sort of the anxiety and the depression kicking in, your brain then goes to the ultimate dark place, if you like, of what will happen if I walk into the woods right now and don't return. I mean, how did it, um, you spoke about like events and you said the two really negative things happened in the same day. I'm just curious. I mean, how, how it all like kind of, um, came to a head with you. Was it a really long, something that happened over years and years? Um, so it's quite unusual really, because until I started my therapy, I thought it was something that only happened as a direct result of the current events that led me to leave my job mm-hmm. and uh, move on with my life personally as well. Um, it wasn't until I was talking to the therapist that we've actually gone back. Uh, I think it's 11 years 
wow. now to where this started to then realize that the actions of one particular individual at that point in time then built upon this to allow me to judge situations that I was being put into through the course of my career. And it's made me make decisions that uh, may not necessarily have been correct at the time, but they were what I thought was right based on previous experiences. And all of that's sort of been underlying and I thought everything was okay. It's just that these two events, when they happened simultaneously, brought everything to a head, almost like a flood of emotion mm-hmm. that I couldn't quite control. I didn't know how to deal with. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about therapy because I had a similar thing when I went to therapy. It's it's weird how much stuff you're kind of sitting on that you don't realise affects you in the way that you are as a person because I had a similar thing. And in my own mental health struggles, the way that I initially dealt with it was that I didn't deal with it. I just completely denied the everything, all the, like you say, the rush of emotions that were going on inside and shoved them all down. And then it all came exploding out about two years later. Um, so I don't know, I mean, if you're comfortable sharing how you dealt with it or didn't deal with it at the time. Yeah. So when this uh, flood of emotion arrived, I, um, I didn't just think about going into the woods. I took myself there, um, walked around for about four hours, found a tree that I was pretty happy about, um, sat down and really contemplated everything in my life in minute detail. Um, so I was, I was out for an incredibly long time and, uh, thankfully, um, I had my dog with me is what I would say. So he, he saved my life. I couldn't, the thing that pulled me out of the darkness was I couldn't do this to myself and leave him unattended oh, um, wow. because I was responsible for probably the, the most adorable ball of fluff <laughs> on the planet um, who is constantly happy. I was like, do you know what? This is just not worth it. I will just keep living, pull myself back and uh, keep living my life. And that, that's what uh, made me leave the woods, if you like. Mm. Um and that, that's the point I decided that I needed help because I wasn't sure that my brain was capable of thinking like that. But um, I've, I later found out that people who consider taking their own life normally think about it and act upon it within the hour. Really? Wow. Yeah, as a majority. And that's, that's just terrifying because for me, before all of this happened, I thought that taking your own life, and I'm sure lots of people will think this as well, they think it's a selfish act. But after going through it, I can assure you that when you're at that cliff edge, yeah. you think it's the most selfless act you can do. You think that ending things right now will just spare people a lot of pain. Yeah. And it's it's a really dark place to go. Oh, my goodness. That must have been terrifying. Like after, you must have completely terrified yourself. Yep, that's right. And uh, again, this is when I was talking about some therapy. She's like, why didn't you take your life? And I said, because I am petrified of dying. So it's a combination of fear and wanting to obviously uh, make sure my dog wasn't left alone mm. that pulled me back from the edge, which was nice. And uh, But not everybody gets that. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, that's awful. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I mean, obviously, I'm glad that you're, you're here talking to me now. Um, but gosh, yeah, I mean, suicide is it's a topic that still I feel like it's quite misunderstood even like you said just then as in people think of it as a selfish thing to to be completely blunt I mean I've never attempted to take my own life but I remember when I was really really depressed and I initially went to therapy um I remember the therapist asking me they were like oh have you ever had suicidal thoughts and I was like oh no of course not because in my head it was this big like extreme like oh no I'm miles off from that kind of thing and then she kind of pried a bit more 
And I remember just saying really offhand, I was like, no, I've never like thought of committing suicide, but I've thought like, you know, it would probably just be easier for us all, myself included, if I just wasn't here, if I just didn't, if I didn't have to deal with this and with everyone else, if everyone else didn't have to deal with this. And um, I just, it wasn't kind of until I said it that I realised what thing to say. What are your thoughts on how suicide is talked about? Uh, I would say for some people, it's not necessarily talked about enough. Um, it happens to a lot of people mm. um, across the UK. I, I obviously don't know any statistics, but I know that it is, uh, it's talked about quite a lot. And there's obviously, I think there's national days, isn't there? Like yeah. National Suicide Prevention Day and stuff like that. Um, this is this is sort of bringing back to stuff we talked about a little earlier. So for me, if you have an event in your life that where you either think about taking your own life or you have friends or family or colleagues who do it, that then prompts the conversation. Mm. And that's sort of a reaction rather than talking about it beforehand. Yeah. Um, so my personal experiences are that I've, I've had two friends in my life take their own lives. Um, and me and my friends now have a group where we all talk about absolutely everything openly, honest and frankly. So there's no judgments. It's just, you've got something on your chest, talk about it. Mm. Um, and it's really good. It seems to have helped stem the tide. If you like, of uh, people getting to the, the extreme point where they're calling crisis lines and things like that. But the rest of us are just sort of getting through what we go through, going to therapy, um, sort of helping ourselves. But yeah, that, that, that's a reaction to what's happened to us in the past. Mm. Whereas if we spoke about it a bit more openly and honestly, um, it's pro we probably get a reaction like you were mentioning earlier about death or everyone would be like, <gasps> yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know how to talk about this. Mm. That's the thing. It's like a vicious circle really, isn't it? Because you don't uncomfortable topics are uncomfortable to talk about, but they're only uncomfortable until you kind of start normalized talking about them. I mean, I, I don't want to use the word normalize too much, but it's yeah. Particularly when it comes to mental health, I feel like, I mean, even, in my, in my brief 27 years on this planet so far, I feel like there's been a huge change in, as, like even in the way I understand mental health. I mean, my own experiences aside, because I definitely, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, anxiety, like that's just people who worry too much or like depression, that's just someone who's a bit sad. And it's it, me saying that now, I'm like, good grief. How on earth did I like think that way? So we've made a lot of progress, I think, but it's still it doesn't these topics don't come up enough I don't feel and even I feel like now I wouldn't even know myself how to bring some of them up but again I mean what actually that's made me think what are your thoughts on that because a lot of the time when we don't know how to talk about something I feel like it's because we we feel really uncomfortable about it whereas that's not really the point is it if we're trying to talk about something important then you know it's we should talk about it regardless what 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 are your opinions on that? Yeah, I think um, talking about these kind of things would be helpful. Um, bringing them up, though, can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. So if you, even if you've been through uh, depression, anxiety, or, or any other mental illness that, that, uh, that's out there, bringing it up can be a real challenge, and it can actually trigger some of the events that you've been working through to oh, get yourself yeah, into true. a good place. Yeah. So if you've been in a dark place and brought yourself back, and then you have to talk about it, it can then cause a regression. Mm. So for me, like, I know that I don't talk about um, anxiety and depression with people who 
haven't shared their experiences with me or who haven't sort of directly asked me about it. So I don't sort of bring it up in conversation because it has a huge shock factor. Mm. So if, if I sat in a training room and they say, name one interesting thing about yourself, I'd be like, hi, my name's Tim. I, I've tried to take my life. Yeah. It's just not the environment to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So it, you're right. It is difficult to find those, find those sort of avenues where you can say this is something that you, you can talk about. And I'm okay talking about it now. It doesn't, doesn't worry me anymore. It doesn't bother me. Mm. It's just something that happened and it changed my opinion because like you, I used to think anxiety, depression, that's just something that, where people worry too much. Suicide is selfish, all this other stuff. And once you've been through it, does it, does it half open your eyes or what? <laughs> oh my goodness. I know it's, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day with someone and it was um, not to like to be blunt about it. And I don't want to sound exclusive, but it's definitely one of those things mental health struggles you kind of don't really know until you know um and or at least I, I definitely found that because I mean it took me a good few years to even figure out I was going through it particularly in this country I think we're quite bad at um admitting when we're not okay uh, I think people see it as a sign of weakness even I still feel like it's a bit of a sign of weakness and I know that I, <laughs> like how important it is to admit that you're not okay no yeah I was gonna say yeah I agree and even mm-hmm. Uh, just admitting you're not okay even though you want to you'll sometimes stop yourself because again if you've got something like anxiety you'll go if I admit to somebody that something's wrong that will lead to these conversations down the line and you'll start going to the worst case scenario right down the end Mm. Um, especially in the workplace if you think if I tell my boss I have anxiety that means in his opinion if he or she doesn't understand what I'm going through they will make judgments about what they think I'm going through yeah so they'll assume that I get stressed easily that's not true. I don't get stressed easily. Mm. Um, and that what might mean that they don't give me work that I want. They might not look at me for promotions. They might look, not look for me for help in certain situations. And that's the, that's just the way some people can think when they have these conditions, but mm. it's, uh, to me, you've just got to have a workplace that supports you with that. So I spoke up about my mental conditions. Uh, so my mental illnesses to my, my boss, um, and he's been very supportive ever since yeah um, which is it's the first time in my life I've had somebody who's supportive like that um so it's, it's really nice really yeah. good to see <laughs> oh, that's really good I'm glad to hear that I wanted to ask um back when you were at the point in your life where you had been contemplating suicide how did you kind of initially start talking to people about it then uh, I didn't after the event itself initially um I was ashamed of myself, mm-hmm. um, which led to a huge amount of anxiety, um, several panic attacks, um, a lack of work in general. I sort of signed off, like, I just can't work. I can't concentrate. Uh, my brain is wandering. I can look out the window and I think I've looked out of it for a minute and I've been there for an hour and a half. Uh, I know the feeling. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's not procrastination, it's just pure, unadulterated panic mm. going through my head. Um, and, and luckily for me, I I, um, I know how I can help myself at the time, just from when I went to college and things like that. I did sort of A-levels in psychology and believe it or not, one of my dissertation things that I did there was on depression and anxiety. Right. So I knew that the key factors in helping yourself is a change in environment. Um, and that's sort of the focus I've been using, as it turns out, through my life. When I get to a point where I'm in a similar situation to what I've had before, I would just move jobs. 
mm-hmm. instead of dealing with it. Um, and that's exactly what I did. After, so after my attempt, um, or well, after my near attempt at suicide, I decided that it was probably best that I change jobs mm-hmm. as an initial. So I started that process. And then shortly after, I made changes in my personal life as well to remove those stresses that were causing issues um, as well. And that gave me sort of a clean slate to start from. But of course, um, I'm sure anyone who suffers from anxiety will know, once you've got a clean slate, your brain is very good at filling it with other things to worry about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's the point when I realised, okay, I need help. This isn't just a one-off situation that I'm panicking about. Speaking up about mental illness in the workplace can be a real challenge for some people, especially if you're currently going through it. Mm. So if you're right in a, if you're in a dark place, you're right at the bottom of how you've ever felt. Talking to your manager is probably the last thing on your mind because you want security. And in your mind, if you don't talk to work about this, your job is secure. That's one secure thing you can put in a little compartment down here. Next, life. Okay, I'm not going to move house. I'm not going to change rent everything's good. I'm going to compartment this here. So you're trying to give yourself sort of tethers to hold on to, and you don't want to disrupt those. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you turn around to a boss um, and something in my experience where I told somebody about depression um, and I was told, so that sounds like a you problem. Um, What? Yeah, it's pretty hardcore to uh, be told that when uh, they're saying you haven't been working as well as as you could be. And I know at the time I hadn't. And I just, I decided, right, they need to know so that they will know that this is now an episode that I'm out of. I can then progress forward and become normal Mm -hmm. again. When I say normal, I mean, you know, the normal amount of work productivity that you get through in a day. Yeah. Um, And it was pretty harsh for their commentary. So at that point I decided that it was possibly time for me to leave. Um, just because even though the company advertised uh, diversity and inclusion, they were publishing lots of articles and trying to really improve themselves. It just, it obviously wasn't being adopted as a behavior in the senior staff. Um, And if you're in a business, if the senior staff adopting a behavior, everybody else will then follow. Um, So yeah, I I decided to leave uh, that particular avenue of employment. Sounds like a good decision, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I, I don't regret it. It's one of the things I really want to get across in this podcast series is that diversity and inclusion, all the areas of it are essential parts of business because having people feel content enough and accepted and respected, seen and heard in the workplace is absolutely fundamental, in my opinion, to them doing their jobs well. If you're a company and you want to support your employees with mental health, there's various things and avenues that you will probably consider. Mm-hmm. Um, people will probably not just put their hands up and admit that they have mental health issues or illnesses. Yeah. Um, it's And it's not really for you to coax it out of them. Um, mm-hmm. What you should be focusing on doing is creating an environment where they feel safe to talk about it mm-hmm. without being judged uh, yeah. and without them thinking that if something then doesn't happen to them, uh, that's happening to other people who haven't spoken up, that they're not being passed over for promotions and pay rises because of their illness. My name's Chris Coombs. Uh, I am a therapist, blogger, uh, and I have uh, lived experience with uh, mental health. 
uh, mental distress uh, in the form of depression and anxiety, and I also have uh, uh, cerebral palsy, which is a physical disability, which restricts mobility in my, in my case, my lower limbs. I very much feel as if through a lockdown, my life has been on pause and I get these, for me, like a really bad day is when I've got the, the little productivity demon on my shoulder being like, you haven't done this. You said you were going to, you were going to learn French. Have you? Yep. No, you haven't. Uh-huh. And like other stuff that's, you know, I play and write music and I only started doing that halfway through lockdown and I go Alice you've been playing music since you were 10 why were you not writing songs at 10 why are you not Taylor Swift now and like it's that plus the fact that I then go I'm in my 20s these supposed to be the best years of my life what and I'm doing nothing I'm sat at home like crying about not learning French (laughs) and it's it's so it's so hard in those moments to stop and be like I can I can hear my therapist voice in my head being like stop and just go Alice just notice these things rather than have putting a judgment on them and having a go at yourself like stop getting mad at yourself for existing when that in it in and of itself is an achievement and yeah it's it's hard these the the productivity demon as I call it isn't yeah we have we 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 internalize this product this this productivity thing to such a degree where we, we end up hurting ourselves, you know, mm. from a disability perspective, from a mental health perspective, we, we end up flogging ourselves to death mm. because, we, because we didn't, you know, learn French in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. We didn't manage to do the CPD when, frankly, our brains have gone into survival mode. Yeah, and when, when everything else around us is in such flux and, like, no yeah. one knows what the hell's going on. Yeah. When you have no social interaction in the same way, when mm. a lot of people have had no human human touch for a year yeah oh my gosh i, I can't fathom that um, yeah but that we true of a lot of people and yet we are still asking people who have not experienced human touch for a year to yeah. be the same human the, the same normal people that they were pre-lockdown and that's ridiculous I know. and, we, say, and we, we know that but when we turn it in on ourselves can we do that can we give ourselves that that grace that space i i struggle with that sometimes I can be like you know well that's fine it's cool happens it'll pass you've had these before it'll go away and other days I'm so hyper aware of this like this looming black hole behind me because for me it's the you become I don't know if you get this as well but like teaching on the edge going like oh my word you've been in that really like dark hole before and it was really bad are you gonna fall back into that dark hole again (laughs) yeah who knows and yeah. it just sets your anxiety going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the thing about that black hole is particularly recently, you know, particularly over the last year, and this we true of a lot of people, we've been there so often that it's difficult to get out. Mm. It's difficult to stay out. And that, yeah. that makes it sound like it's almost an addiction and it's not. But these things become so normal that it's very difficult to push through that. And it's difficult because sometimes that's, and I hate using a therapist cliche, but sometimes that's where we need to be. And other times you need to push through. And it's difficult to, it's, it's mental health is such a difficult thing to negotiate, to navigate. If it was just as simple as saying, I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to push through. We'd be mm. doing that. Yeah. But it's not as simple as that because I think, I think a lot of, men, of mental distress is about, it's a response to things that are happening. I wanted to ask about your experiences with, basically being a man and talking about mental health and how easy it is like 
how how bad really is toxic masculinity when it comes to talking about your feelings everything that goes under that what are your what have your experiences been my experiences have not been as bad as as other men that i know and i think that's part partly without going into it because i'm disabled i'm not seen as as much of a man as others because i don't i don't have the physical you know a lot of the masculinity stereotypes that we have are around physicality mm. which i don't live up to that's and that's you know yeah, that's, there are a load of rubbish so, anyway, so in some ways that's a blessing yeah um, it because is. it has allowed me to you know have a more have a more empathetic outlook and a more nuanced outlook because i've not had to live up to those stereotypes in the same way that said toxic masculinity is a massive problem it's it's very difficult because what we've what, what we're now doing i think is very well meaning but we are almost to the point where we are so quote unquote aware of men's mental health issues or that it's more prevalent among men that that we push it forward in this very sort of i think particularly in the mental health community there's a lot of stuff around getting blokes to talk around mental health this mm. very sort of blokey bloke stereotype of how of well how do we how do we reach the men mm. to talk about their feelings and i think in some ways it almost perpetuates this idea of toxic masculinity by having men talk about it a different way and I'm, mm. I go back and forth on this because there are some men for whom that is going to be helpful having it just you know in that, in that way but I also think that men are grown-ups so in the short term I think that there is a place for talking about about approaching it very in that very sort of blunt head-on almost toxic toxic in its own way style of, of talking about men's mental health but in the long term I think we need to just have have a more nuanced view of what is masculine what is feminine mm. and sort of almost do away with those in terms of emotional traits yeah because I think until we get to that point we're gonna we're gonna keep coming up with this problem of men don't talk about mental health and it's almost to the point now where I think for some men, we're being told we don't talk about our mental health enough. And we hear this so often that they say, okay, well, okay, men don't. And so we clam up. So it's, it's, it's complicated because, I, because what we need is different ways of, of people being able to talk about mental health. We need different ways. We need different groups. We need different styles we need different all different kinds of therapists you know yeah. you know we need all kinds of mental health professionals in all kinds of roles because not everyone is going to work for everyone but i think if we break it into this very very gendered idea of how men should how more men should talk about mental health i struggle with that and i wonder and it's interesting because it's not really talked about but i wonder if all women are comfortable with with this very sort of widely held notion that women do yeah mental health and i can't speak to that not everyone does to clarify that yeah. plenty of women but not but there is this this stereotype that men don't and women do and mm. that women can talk to other women about it and men don't talk to other men about it and i think that's also interesting in that there's this idea that the genders talk about it amongst themselves we need we we do need to make more men feel that they are able to talk about these things of course we do but I think if we're just looking at it in terms of how do we get blokes to talk about it? And like I, said, I come back to the word blokes because it, it, men's mental health initiatives are always in terms of blokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always in terms of chats down the pub with your mates. 
Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that's great. And sometimes that's what, and sometimes that's a, that approach is going to work for some people, but it's this, it's this very, very blunt two dimensional idea of men. So except we need as many different approaches as possible. We are actually reinforcing a lot of male stereotypes by forcing men to talk about mental health in a particular way, in particular environments. Mm. And I think in many ways that's actually exacerbating toxic masculinity rather than rather than shaving it away at the edges. I don't know what you think about it, but like there are so many, there is there is so much stigma attached to mental health and so many preconceptions that go with that. Like what does a depressed person look like? Yeah. And the the stereotype is probably someone who's not washed in three weeks and is sat on a sofa surrounded by empty crisp packets or something, yeah. maybe a few cats. But yeah. it's, it's in the reality. I don't know how accurately you're describing my life. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like that image, true in some cases. Yeah. And yeah. others not. Sometimes talk. you're right, and sometimes yeah. you're off. Exactly, and it's it's getting getting past you know having uh, this idea of what's what's the right way to feel, what's the wrong way to feel, what are the good emotions, what are the bad emotions, and just getting yeah. to the point that you know it's all fine. And essentially, in terms of how like how employers can help employees when it comes to mental health, um, it's not necessarily having you know a big grand plan and having all of the all of the answers it's more actually taking a more kind of pastoral role I suppose and you know letting someone know that a it's fine to feel the way they're feeling if they don't already know that they might already know that um and that they're not alone in it because I think the thing that was so screamingly apparent to me when I was in the really really bad um patches in my patches the really bad bit of my mental health um, was just feeling so completely alone in it because it's so isolating, depression in particular. Yeah. And once you get so familiar, it sounds really bleak, but like, well, it is, it is bleak. Um, it is bleak. You get, once you get so familiar with feeling down and flat all the time and numb, there's something oddly comforting about that, which is why I think, like you were saying earlier, you know, sometimes we need to be pulled out of things, sometimes we don't. I think the needing to be pulled out can be really hard to recognise sometimes. Getting from a point of being depressed to being not depressed is an enormous amount of work. And more, I'm currently in that piece of work and it's going to be a long, sodding long piece of work. Mm. I can look up at that mountain of work sometimes and go, I can't do this. I, I, I just can't. I have nothing left to give to get myself out of that point. So I think one of the worst things about depression particularly is that often it feels so much worse because you can see where you are compared to where you've been. You can see where you are and how small your world gets, you know, in terms of, you know, to the point of, did you get out of bed? Did you shower? Did you dress? Mm. It can be that level of small accomplishment. But they're small in the sense that we can see that a year ago, you know, a year ago, two years ago, we were this high achieving, this high flying, we were doing this, that and the other and whatever else. Mm. So we look at that up there and we see ourselves down here and we're looking up and going, Christ, yeah. how, do I, how do I even begin to put that back together? So it's this thing of 
it's not that I want to stay here. It's just that I don't have the energy to move. And the thing is, you can be as supportive and as well-meaning as you like, but you can't get me there either. Mm. I have to do it. You can only be as supportive as you can. But at the end of the day, I've still got to do the walk. That's, that's the tricky bit. I think that's true of a lot of stuff around mental health is that it's such a lot of work. It's work all the time to, to try and exist, survive, do work, you know, be, a, be part of a family, you know, keep a house in order, whatever you have to do. While you are, if you're depressed, you're at the lowest point you've been. If you're anxiety, you're, you know, you're, you're in this sort of oppressive, on edge feeling all the time. You know, and those are just the two conditions that I am most familiar with on a personal level. Mm. So those are the only two I'll speak to. So imagine doing that, all that work while trying to maintain a normal life. It's, it's, it's such hard work. I think that's something that people miss is that because you, because you often don't appear to be doing very much. Yeah. Depressed. If you, if you don't appear to be doing very much, people think you're not doing very much. Actually, upstairs in here, I am working so hard, fighting so hard to keep myself alive all the time. Mm. And it's a constant, it's a constant fight. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant conversation internally that sometimes I don't want to be having, but it's on all the time. It's switched on all the time. And, and you know, you, you collapse. Yeah, and that kind of mental exhaustion can manifest in different ways for different people like some people might get really you know agitated and tense and like I definitely get like that sometimes um but like some people may just completely numb themselves to it some people can detach completely and just switch off I know a lot of people who do that when it comes to work is work is like a solace because they can just switch into work mode and that's them done so in in that sense they don't don't want to talk about their mental health at work Um, other people I can't detach like that um, and at least for me like I, re- I remember when I was uh, really really struggling it wasn't actually that long after I started working in my current job um, at ILX I would just like the whole all, like 80% 80-90% of my mental energy at the time was going on holding up this facade and maintaining this I'm fine image that yeah. was cracking almost as you know as I was putting it on and um I would just take myself off like several times a day to the toilets and yeah. just cry I'd go and like sit in the cubicles silently cry for about 10 minutes have a little mini breakdown whether yeah. that was you know an anxiety attack or just a little moment to kind of um uncontrollably spiral (laughs) and then would somehow kind of then go right okay normal myself up and then yeah go back into the office and no as far as I'm aware no one knew that was happening and that's the thing about mental health is you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes like you say the mental battles the struggles is someone keeping face you know the classic how how are you doing really that question is what we should be asking um you have no idea so when it comes to the workplace particularly but any situation it could be a social scenario it's you know how how do we navigate that as uh, coming as a as a person who is struggling and then maybe you're a friend of someone who's struggling or a colleague or a Mm -hmm. how do we navigate that such a huge question but (laughs) there's no right answer 
you know, in that sense of if we all did this, it would all, it all works for everyone. It really doesn't. It's, it's, the thing is, mental health is so deeply personal uh, and you have to keep that. In, I think you have to keep that in mind, you know, that yeah. your approach with someone, as you say, there may be someone for whom, you know, work is their solace mm. and, you know, that allows them to be a person, be a person they can't be elsewhere. Yeah. But it allows them to be that competent achieving person that they don't feel themselves to be at home. Say. Mm. So in a sense, just being at work, that might be really helpful for them equally. It may be that someone is just not able to function, not able to do all the things they need to do to the level they need to do them and they need extra support. And that's mm. all right too. But you need to have both, you know, approaches in mind or both, mm. both ends of that approach in mind. Why <clears throat> is empathy so such a crucial part of our responses to mental health distress and struggles? Um, and why is it so why does it need to be such a big part of how we kind of talk to others, talk to ourselves with regards to mental health? I think it's about how it shows a deeper degree of actual listening and it makes it about the person who is, who is telling, who is disclosing, who is sharing. Mm. Sympathy is very much about saying, you know, it, it looks bad from down there, that must suck. Mm. Empathy, is re- empathy is really being with someone. Mm. And you don't even have to have been through a similar experience, I don't think. It's, but it's about trying to put yourself in that person's position and really get to know them and understand them and, and where they're at. If you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, then it, it, it really makes the person feel seen and feel heard. Mm. And except particularly with mental health, because so much of it can feel invisible. So much of it is invisible to other people. If you are able to be open safely, that can make an, an enormous difference because at a very base level, I think it's about feeling safe, being safe with where I'm at right now. Is yeah. my current environment safe? And if you can if you can involve empathy, then you make yourself safe for that person. Yeah. And even I'd go further than that. If you if you say to someone, do you want to talk about it? And they say no that's still all right because what you've done there is you've you've marked yourself as a potential safe person to speak to even if they don't want to speak to you now it it's but it, it makes you it makes their environment safer it makes you a safer person to speak to the main thing with empathy is that it doesn't have to offer solutions actually mm. it just says here we are and just be with them you don't have to do anything mm. beyond that just just yeah. be with that person and it sounds so counterintuitive because if someone doesn't want to be there then we want to drag them out wouldn't we of course we would but Mm. the thing is that i think often these places are so lonely being depressed is so lonely if you can if you can just get someone to sit with you for five minutes that's an enormous thing and Mm. that's enough sometimes conversation around mental health is incredibly nuanced. We all have our own unique experiences and we all handle our emotions differently. But the overarching thread throughout our discussions has been one big yet strangely simple action. We need to talk more. Struggling with mental health isn't something to be ashamed of and talking about how we're feeling isn't a sign of weakness. 
Although we all go in and out of good and poor mental health throughout our lifetimes, not talking about it means that when we or others around us are struggling, it can feel incredibly isolating and lonely, even if we don't present it that way. Taking the time to check in on each other and simply acknowledging and admitting when life is hard seem like the smallest of things. But with regards to mental health, they're fundamental to creating cultures and environments that promote the most important of messages. You're not alone. <laughs>